Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. We're trying something a little bit different this time. I'm going solo for this pod. We got a lot to get through with the NFL draft. So I just want to make sure that we can hit all these topics. Um, obviously, some great guest content. Everyone's doing their post draft stuff out there, so you'll see it everywhere. But I want to make sure I can hit each and every team that's going by, talk about some higher level stuff. And I think that's really going to be the key here is to keep it a little bit different than what you may get in another podcast. And by that, I mean hitting some of the higher level stuff about trade value, hitting some of the higher level stuff about positional value, and maybe from a more philosophical perspective and analytical perspective looking at things. So uh, let's let's get into it. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down via the first round. And then at the end of the round, uh, after we get through the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pick, we'll go over a few teams that didn't have a pick in the first round. Uh, guys who <laughs> decided they wanted to trade away their picks for the rights to overplay uh, non-quarterbacks this year. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Seattle Seahawks, and the um, – who else do we have here? Oh, yeah, we have the Los Angeles Rams and what they did with Jalen Ramsey. So I'll hit all those uh, wrapping up at the end. So I'm going to talk about what's kind of what's going on in the first round, but then also wrap it into the entire strategy and the entire round that they have going on here. So let's start at the top. Uh, Let's start with the Jacksonville Jaguars and their draft there. I mean, there's a little discussion on Twitter today about what sort of grade do you give to the Jaguars, in particular for this first pick, being that Lawrence is the quote-unquote generational prospect. So do you give them an A for drafting the generational prospect? Or do you say a B? Or do you even say a C because it's what they were supposed to do? I mean, I, I seem to think that there's a lot of value, especially in the first round of Basically not fucking up, you know, not doing something stupid, not getting crazy. And if you look at some different quarterback evaluators out out there, I mean, there are some who had Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence. I mean, not a lot, not a lot, of course, but there are some. And there are others who had Justin Fields as a 1B to Trevor Lawrence's 1A. So it's not, you know, a totally one-sided affair for who who was going to go number one, but it is about as good as you can get in that regard as far as who's going to be the number one pick. So, you know, I'm willing to put it in the B or B plus range for them on this pick. Uh, the problem, of course, is when you go a little bit further down, what we had for the Jaguars here. Now, the big thing is going to be, and I don't want to harp on this too much, is running backs, right? And Travis Etienne in the first round, pick number 25, and you know, it's it's just a really strange pick. I mean, it's something that I had mocked a few times. It was being talked about. It was right after Najee Harris went. So maybe there was a feeling that by the time they came back around at the top half of the the second round, that there wouldn't be a player there for them. If you look at who they took, they took uh, cornerback Tyson Campbell there. So there were potentially more of that position and that 45 later they took uh, a tackle Walker Little so tackles were sliding too so I I predicted that this may happen with some teams they're going to say let's take the certainty here this is a thin running back class and with that it was actually going to push more running backs into the first round or the early second round which we saw with Javante Williams than you would have expected even though they're not the value picks there. But there would be more guys with a little bit less certainty and a little bit deeper classes that you could get outside of there. So 
you know, with the Jaguars, they have James Robinson, right? They have the guy who was the poster child for running backs don't matter. An undrafted free agent, someone was an Uber producer in college. They brought in Carlos Hyde. You would think that they have a, a good enough core there and they can move on. They can look to draft someone in the later rounds. I mean, the, the talk, I don't really believe the talk from Urban Meyer about uh, ETN being a third down back, you know, having the first and second down thumpers with Hyde and with Robinson and then bringing ETN in for a third down back. I mean, I just do not buy that at all. But if that was the case, I think that would have been a good strategy if they could have gone later in the draft. They could have gone with someone like Kenneth Gainwell, who went in the fifth round, right? I mean, even going with someone like Michael Carter, where he didn't go that late, it was the top of the fourth round. So not a huge, huge value there. But even with him, when you're getting into that that range, that's what you had in this draft more than anything else, is you had these smaller running backs outside of, of the top guys. You had these smaller running backs who were very efficient, who were great runners in college, maybe not so much in the pros, and could do everything and can play in the passing game. So going with one of those guys later just makes so much more sense. And when you're not taking first-round picks uh, for cornerbacks, for edge rushers, for tackles, for other positions that you really need, I think it's just hard if you're the Jaguars to look at yourself and say, hey, we got a couple picks in the first round, we got a couple picks in the second round, so this is a quote-unquote luxury pick in a way. You can't say that if you're the Jaguars. You can't say it if you're the worst team in the NFL last year. You just always need more players. And this whole luxury pick phenomenon, I mean, we look at the Chiefs and what happened to them uh, last year, it was seen as being a luxury pick, taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the 32nd overall pick. Now coming into this year, they had to rebuild the entire offensive line. They look a little bit thin at wide receiver, potentially losing Sammy Watkins and having to bring in McCole Hardman, who hasn't looked so great. Uh, they look like they could even build a little bit on defense in some different areas, uh, the, whether the linebackers hit or not. So th- there is no such thing as a luxury pick in the NFL. You always are building. You always need depth. You always need more going forward. Um, so I think that's, that's how I would uh, typify that. Now let's go over to the Jets. Pick number two, and we're going to knock out a couple of first-round picks with the Jets, too, of course, and they took Zach Wilson. I'm not going to quibble with who they're taking there. Uh, I think we could see from signals from the NFL, while they could be wrong and the NFL is is wrong all the time, we don't know if the Niners didn't move up into third. We don't know where Trey Lance would have gone. Um, obviously the Dolphins did not feel like Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones was a good enough option to pull the trigger there. Although that was something that, I I mean, I'm not down on Tua versus those. I I wasn't part of the scouting process, so I can't say, but you have to at least think about bringing in some more competition for Tua because you just don't know enough after that first year, especially uh, with the low upside type of play that Tua had in that rookie year. So, so they didn't see any of these guys being there. Um, and then we have um, Fields not go until 11. We have Mac Jones not go until 15. I mean, that's telling you that there was some weakness. So I think um, and from the buzz that's going around here, it looks like Zach Wilson really was that guy. He was our highest graded quarterback last year. We had him as number two on the board. I don't think there's any problem there. And I think with Wilson, there are some people who were critiquing him this year. And I felt like the the logical maneuvering was working backwards a little bit. In other words, they were saying to themselves, I love Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields is ranked below Zach Wilson by a lot of people. So therefore, I'm going to find a way to pick at Zach Wilson. And 
I think it's fair to like Justin Fields, but at the same time, I think some of the criticism of Zach Wilson was unfair because it was really focusing on his 2019 season, which was a down year for him. Uh, he had he had injuries. He had a shoulder injury. He had some other injuries there. And completely ignored, if you want to say, oh, he only had this shortened 2020 season, we don't know. Completely ignored was the fact that as a true freshman in 2018, I mean, he was good as a true freshman in 2018. I mean, let's let's look up some of the numbers here. So, like I said, everyone's focusing on 2019. Things got off the rails a little bit there, and I'll I'll admit that that happened there. But if we go back to 2018, again, true freshman season, only 182 attempts, but uh, almost 66% completion percentage. Uh, 8.7 yards per attempt, really strong there, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, so good touchdown-interception ratio. Instead, everyone's ignoring that, right, as a true freshman, and everyone's focusing on his injured season in 2019, where his completion percentage dropped a little bit, his yards per attempt dropped from 8.7 to 7.5, and his touchdown-to-interceptions went from 12 to 3 to 11 to 9. Um and they're saying, hey, that is a large, the larger thing that you should be looking at and only weighing that in his final season. So I think that's a mistake. Uh, lots of modeling that's been done out there, including the Q-based model at Football Outsiders is probably my favorite. You know, they say Wilson is right there because he has multiple years as of a starter, which is really, really, really key here. People who start early are normally better, and that would be the concern about someone like Mac Jones that we'll talk about later, only having really the one full season as a starter. So he had those three years as a starter, so you just can't ignore what he did as a freshman, and I think a lot of people were doing that and were being unfair. So the the reason I would grade the Jets a little bit lower, though, is what we saw happen next. And that's when they they traded up for the uh, tackle slash interior, probably going to be more like a guard in Vera Tucker from USC. And th- the problem here is the price, mostly, more than anything. Uh, we're talking about trading multiple third-round picks in order to get this. Um, it's really like the, okay, the NFL draft, obviously, it's slope, it slopes down, right, your chances of success. But – if you think about it, it's a little bit less of a precipitous decline than some people may think. And what really happens is after the top 100 picks, after the third round, that's when it becomes very, very difficult to find guys who are going to start, um, at least on a, on, a, on a good team, right? So giving up two third round picks, uh, those are closer to 50-50 propositions for a starter than you might think especially on the team like the Jets. Again, the Jets need players, okay? It's not a luxury pick. It's another one of these luxury pick sort of situations. And I think there's also another phenomenon that happened here, which uh, I'll get into a little bit, and that's what I'm going to call super scout syndrome. And I think that's a problem with Joe Douglas, potentially. We haven't seen it a lot, so I don't want to say it's a big trend. But Douglas said that he had... um, the, the situation was that he had uh, the the interior offensive lineman. He had Vera Tucker in his top 10, and that's why he felt comfortable trading up for him to get him at 14. Again, the NFL doesn't have him there, okay? We know the other teams don't have him there. Uh, they didn't draft him in the top 10. He wasn't going in that sort of range. So, 
you know, you may be confident that he belongs in that sort of range, but we're talking about a guard, an interior offensive lineman. Just the upside is so, so small there that you're giving up multiple third round picks, probably one starter, the potential for two starters. You're just giving up that upside because the upside is you hit on the first round pick back where you back where you were drafting, right? You you don't move. You hit on the first round pick, which is um let me see, where were they drafting from? Which was the 23rd pick, right? So you hit on that pick, and then you hit also on those third round picks. Now, those third round picks, let's look exactly where those were. So those were 86 and 90-something, I believe. So if you hit on those, then oh, I'm sorry, 66. So even worse, right at the beginning of the of the third round. So you're passing up 66 and 86. You, you just can't do that. You just can't do that. So that's why I was a little bit down on what the Jets had done here. I think some people like it from a philosophical perspective what they did because they ended up getting Elijah Moore, who I like at the beginning of the second round. They ended up getting Michael Carter. Again, like I said, we're skipping all the way to the fourth round now because of the, the draft capital. And they ended up filling in some other pieces there. I mean, what I will say is that mostly by luck here, that if you look at the quarterback development curve that you're going to see for teams, um, and I think this plays into what we saw with trade-ups that have happened and with what the Browns did in 2016 where they passed on a quarterback and they said, you know what, we're not ready for a quarterback at this point. We don't think uh, Carson Wentz's evaluation is enough to really go for a quarterback there. I think the Jets now... After a couple of off-seasons of bringing in free agents, a couple of off-seasons of drafting, um, accumulating picks by by being willing to trade away players like um, like Jamal Adams, you know, they did that, right? And that's building a base around Zach Wilson that Sam Darnold never had. Now, I think Sam Darnold is probably going to be a bust no matter what, but to be fair, he didn't he didn't have that base around him. Now we have Wilson coming in. We have him with Mekhi Becton there. We have him now with Vera Tucker uh, on the offensive line. We have in the – for the wideouts, you still have Jameson Crowder there. Whether he'll be there or not going forward, we'll see. You have Elijah Moore. You have Denzel Mims who was injured who will be coming into, into play there. Uh, you, have, you brought in Corey Davis. You know, you still have Chris Herndon if he ever if he ever does anything offensively there. You brought in a better play caller and an offensive system that can that can work with him, that he's not relied on, that it's not like the system worked with Peyton Manning like you did with Adam Gaze. So I, I think there's a lot around him, and I think they did a good job, like I said, mostly by luck now, having the right development curve here and bringing in Wilson into this environment. I just really wish they would have they would have kept those 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 third round picks. Um because it's it's very possible too that even in the first round, if they would have waited around, that they they maybe could have gotten the same player. I mean, unlikely, but it's possible they could have gotten the same player. And there were still tackles going in that range, which were very, very strong tackles. If you look at Christian Derisaw was the guy who went in that pick that the Jets traded out of, a great pick for the Minnesota Vikings that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. All right, so let's head down the board further here. Trey Lance, San Francisco. Yeah, this one went back and forth. Uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I was buying Mac Jones going there not because I like Mac Jones, not because I think he's better than Trey Lance or Justin Fields, but because there was such a homogenous view amongst NFL insiders that this is what's going to happen. Uh, you, I also saw that, you know, after the fact, 
Uh, this week, Adam Schefter was on an underdog live stream about the best ball post-draft. They're kicking off their $1 million tournament there. Uh, we have a relationship with the underdog, by the way, so I think it's promo code PFF over there. And for this for this live stream, Schefter said he doubled down on his thought because, remember, he was the first one initially who came out after the trade and said he would be, quote-unquote, shocked if it was not Mac Jones. Who his source was, I'm not sure. Uh, whether it was Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch is unlikely. Whether it was Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's dad is a possibility. They have a relationship. Uh, he wrote, he helped um, Mike Shanahan write a book in the past. So that's a possibility there. So I really do think that that he was right in saying that. And he doubled down saying that they were ready. They wanted Mac Jones. They were ready to quote, unquote. His, his analogy was, it's like a proposal. It was like a proposal for them. So they were ready to propose. They had everything ready. They said, Mac Jones is our guy. But, you know, we're going to maybe look around a little bit more to figure out what we want. And then they fell in love and ran away with Trey Lance at the last second. Uh, I think that's a possibility. I think there's a possibility. I don't want to get too, you know, conspiratorial here. But I think there's a possibility that Kyle Shanahan got worn down through the process and had to admit that Trey Lance was a close enough prospect. And when you had, let's say, John Lynch and the scouts pointing towards Lance, which we heard about, maybe you had ownership happy about Lance versus Mac Jones and the blowback and the negative publicity they're getting there. And then look at Mac Jones. I mean, he didn't go till the 15th pick. They did. They spent three first-round picks and more to get up to number three, if they would have taken Mac Jones, who didn't even go until the 15th pick, they were trading up from 12, that would have been a, a total disaster. So I think it's very, very poor process either way because we just don't know. Even Trey Lance, he might have slipped further. They might have been able to pay a lot less to go up and get him. So I think it's very, very poor process all around um, here. And we'll see what happens with Garoppolo going forward. Um but there is some possibility, and I'll discuss this in, in the continuation of picks here going forward, that maybe just none of these teams were willing to trade out, surprisingly. Maybe the Dolphins were the only team willing to move back, uh, knowing that they could go back up, because it seems like people were very, very concentrated on getting that high-end, top-tier talent. All right, let's roll over now to next on the board, and that is the Atlanta Falcons and Kyle Pitts. You know, for every team, I'm just going to keep on hitting the the Justin Fields thing, right? Should they have drafted Justin Fields? We're just going to go down down the board, basically, uh, talking about that. I think for Atlanta, the argument is a little bit less compelling than for some others. I'm a fan of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has been successful when he's had everyone there and healthy. Uh, they have a team which, you know, you wouldn't think a Super Bowl contender because they're they're way up there drafting in number four even without a catastrophic quarterback injury. But, you know, this offense is going to be so, so good, and the defense is something that varies year to year. It's a possibility that things will will come together on the defensive side of the ball. So when you think about that drafting Kyle Pitts, I mean, I can see how it happens. Now, you would like to see if you can get out, if you, if you could trade out, though, and try to get a little bit more. Um, just because... You know, it's the number four pick. Taking any non-quarterback, definitely in the top five, but maybe even in the top ten, is just going to be a losing proposition. 
And there's there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, opportunity cost, right? Uh, you can get multiple picks for someone. That's just going to be a great way to go about things. The second thing is here, and I think this is this is probably a key here, is salary, right? So you have to factor in what these guys are making versus the market, where you're getting that that surplus value or not, right? So Kyle Pitts right now hasn't even played a down uh, in the NFL. He is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in his average per year as far as how much that he's making. He's number seven, right? Whereas if we're going to go over to quarterbacks, and you're going to say an average per year, where is Trevor Lawrence? Uh, let me see. He is down here a little bit below Ryan Fitzpatrick for, for how much he's going to be averaging. And this is over the contract, right? So Fitzpatrick is earning $10 million this year. Uh, that's, that's an amount that Lawrence is going to average over, over this longer contract. So, th- I mean, think about that. And that's a onesie position basically too, right? You know, teams have multiple tight ends who can, who can play significant snaps. You're only going to have one quarterback there. So you're just getting tremendous value. I mean, you're going to be getting Trevor Lawrence. You're going to be paying him $9.2 million a year, and he could give you easily $30 million a year type of performance. Now, when you talk about Kyle Pitts, and, you know, maybe if you want to play some games and say he's really a wide receiver, so therefore it's a little bit different. Um, but still, you know, 8.2, 8.3 million a year you're paying him. Uh, slow, slow developing position a lot of times. Even guys like Rob Gronkowski only had 500 and change yards in their first year. Uh, he did have a ton of touchdowns, though. Uh, more double digits, I believe. But still, you're talking about the value they're going to get out of him. Let's say you get Kelsey type of value out of him, which very, very high-end value, right? Um, that's like a $6 million difference in the salary right there uh, versus the other ones we're talking about $20 million plus. So again, I know that Kyle Pitts probably had the highest grade on a lot of different grading boards when you're not taking into account that positional value. But I just like to be a fly on the wall in some of these conversations to see, uh, could you have moved back? Maybe a team didn't want to trade all the way up for a quarterback into that slot, but if Kyle Pitts was really that coveted, I mean, why not see if someone else wants to come up and get Kyle Pitts? And you can move down a little bit. And yeah, you're not going to get a value pick four, five, six spots later because you're still going to be drafting uh, a non-quarterback. But if you look at even, let, let, let's say, for for tackles, right? Um Let's say, what are these guys going to be earning as tackles? Yeah, if you move down, even Penny Sewell, right? So the top tackle, $6 million a year, right? So you get a couple million less a year. So you're already paying them less. And the top guy, Trent Williams or Bakhtiari or Laramie Tunsil, those guys are making over $20 million a year, $22 million a year. So again, the surplus value you're going to be getting from a pick like that, if they hit, is going to be well over $10 million. It's not going to be quarterback, but it's going to be much closer to quarterback than you're getting in that tight end value. Uh, so it's just something to think about, and I know the teams don't want to do it. They want to draft their guy, but there, there's there's always value to be had out there. And they said, you know, just by moving back, let me see, three picks, you're cutting, you're knocking off 25% of the salary. That shows you how quickly these salaries decline uh, in the NFL draft. All right, so let's pick it up here. Uh, Jamar Chase, the Bengals, I'm perfectly fine with with that pick. I know... There was a little bit of a problem, I think, at the beginning of the second round where they got a little cute. 
um, the, the question was, are you going to take Sewell or are you going to take Pitts? And I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, not Pitts. Are you going to take Chase? So I'm fine taking Chase there. And they got lucky in that when they were going to come back around uh, the 38th pick they were, they were going to have there in the second round, uh, there were offensive tackles there who were pretty good going into day two. And I think they got a little bit tricked because going into day two, uh, the tackles were on the board. You still had um, Tevin Jenkins there. You still had uh, Walker Little. You still had the um, the tackle from Notre Dame uh, there. You still, you still had a bunch of guys who were who were in that range, right? So the picks came off the board, and it went cornerback, wide receiver, running back, safety, and then center to start that round before you got to, to Cincinnati. So I think Cincinnati saw that and they said, hey, we have three or four guys who, who we're good with. So if we move back, we move back five, what ends up being here? Five, six, seven. We move back eight spots. What's the likelihood that all these guys are going to be gone? Not, n- not that high, right? Because there are probably six different tackles that we can think about there. So they were willing to do that. Uh, you look at the trade value here. What was it? Um, they got a second round. So they traded their second. They got exchange for the other second two and two fourth round selections. Again, you, you kind of want to get in that top 100 or maybe even get a pick for 2022. But they didn't get that. And then they ended up taking Jackson Carmen, who I don't know. He is just – it's a little bit of a reach according to a lot of people, not just our – Big board. I mean, we're talking about the 46 pick. You know, we don't have them that much lower at 48, but there were just other guys who would have given more value versus where our draft board was. There were guys who had slipped. Um, if you look at someone like Tevin Jenkins, right? So if they would have gotten Tevin Jenkins there, he was 31, and they could have gotten him coming out of there. So a little bit better better value there. I mean, it could all work out. It could be fine, but I think that they they pressed things a little bit there. Um, but I'm fine with taking the player, taking the wide receiver there. I don't think that's really an issue. Again, you're getting that surplus value better out of that type of pick than you would be out of a lot of picks out there. Uh, tackle and wide receiver are pretty close to each other. They have Riley Reef who can fill in. You want average play more so is more is more of a benefit across the offensive line than it is at wide receiver. For all those reasons, I'm okay with it. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about about the rest of their their draft. But I'm just kind of concentrating near the top. So I think they did good, not not great because of what those moves in the, in the second round. All right. So let's go now, continuing down the board, Jalen Waddell. Now, I think overall, if you just look at it from a 20,000-foot perspective, you like what the Miami Dolphins did because they were up at three. They moved down to 12. They got the first-round picks and uh, another pick, and then they, and they did move all the way down to 12. And then when they moved up to six – that's the one that I'm really worrying about. If you want to look at everything together, then I think that's fine. Um, you could say overall they gained these picks because they, you know they gave up another another first, right? They give up a 2022 20, first as part of the selection. Uh, they give up a fourth and a fifth get swapped, so that's no big deal there. So th- so they gave up one of those three firsts that they got, but or two firsts that they got. But the problem is. If you separate this thing, this stuff out, uh, number one, you're taking Jalen Waddle, who 
I know everyone is is high on him, and some think he could be the wide receiver one. He didn't he didn't play as a wide receiver one in college, flat out. Uh, he didn't test. Supposedly, has the highest uh, tracking speed out there for GPS. That that's fine, um, but but we just don't know that. He was seen as being potentially a, a coin flip type of player between him and between. Uh, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith goes at 10. The Eagles, who made that exact trade with the Bengals, just end up using a, a third-round pick to move up to 10 to get him. So you're, you're, there's a value difference of between the first and the third, and there's a value difference in salary. They're going to be paying those two of a, of a million plus. Um, so for that reason, I think Waddle is one of the riskier picks for the Dolphins because not only are they drafting him only one pick after Jamar Chase, they're drafting a wide receiver in the top six, which is very, very, which is very, very early, and they gave up capital to get him. And on top of that, which I'll mention again, you know, like I said, I'm going to mention this for a lot of picks. They could have been in the Justin Fields business, right? Uh, they still could have made a play there. They could have moved back, done all that they did, and gotten a quarterback to compete with Tua, who might have more upside because of the arm strength. And he's he's a lot faster too. I mean, I know Tua could get you some production on the ground, but he's not a fat. He's not fast. He's not a 4-3 a 4-4 four, four guy like Justin Fields. So, I think for that reason, um there are some questions for the Dolphins, but if we dig into the rest of what they did uh for their draft, I don't think you can complain too much about it, really. Uh Jalen Phillips could be amazing at 18 when they took him, uh, could be a bust. He had concussion issues, so he's really one of these, you're, you're going for upside there. I think if the concussion issues and the injury issues aren't there, he's a top 10 player. Uh, he's easily the top edge there, so I think that's a good pick. And then they ended up filling in, you know, they brought in a couple of tackles, which I think is good to beef up the offensive line. And one thing about the running back position, they were kind of they were in a similar situation, I would say, to what we saw with the Jaguars, but they did not go running back at 18, and they did not go running back at 36. So I want to congratulate them for that. But and this is with a grain of salt for these media reports, because you just never know with media reports what's real, what isn't real. The reports are there was a report from um from Denver Broncos reporters who are out there, I think it was Benjamin Albright at least linked to something on it. I don't know if he's reporting it or not. But he his report was that the Broncos, who traded up to get Javante Williams, one pick in front of the Miami Dolphins, so I think they were targeting getting in front of the Miami Dolphins, supposedly, and this is the third pick of the of the second round, supposedly when they made that pick, Miami called to congratulate them and say, oh, you got our guy. You know, good job. So maybe if that's true and they were willing to consider Javante Williams with the 36 pick, eh, you know, maybe we we should we can hedge a little bit here. Again, you just really wish you were in these draft rooms to hear these conversations, but you can't. So I, I think there, there's there's optimism there that they didn't do it in two years in a row. They haven't done it. Uh, but maybe they would have. But again, they had Miles Gaskins. They had uh, Salvin Ahmed. You know, guys who are just they're just taking them off the street and putting them in the backfield, and they were producing for them last year. So it's just great that they didn't end up drafting a running back until the seventh round. Uh, they took a running back. So we'll, we'll see going forward. Hopefully that'll continue 
because uh, they're accumulating picks, but they're not viewing it the same way as the Jaguars and saying, hey, we got an extra pick here. Why don't we use it? A uh, luxury-ish sort of pick on a running back. They're not doing that. They haven't done that so far. So congratulations to the Dolphins there. We just got to hope that Tua turns things around because they're not going to be drafting up there again. Again, that was the Texans pick. They're just, they're accumulating more and more talent. They're not going to be up there again to have a chance uh, anytime soon to get a quarterback if Tua doesn't end up having the ceiling that you need for, for a Super Bowl run. Okay. Continuing on here. Uh, okay, next is Penny Sewell. We talked about that again. The, the thing here with the the Lions is just going to be, what about Justin Fields, right? What are we doing with Fields? Now, I could see on the, the quarterback development curve that I was talking about earlier, they would be on the wrong end of that. They would be bringing Fields into a situation where it's bereft of offensive talent Coming into the draft, their best receiver was Brashad Perryman. They also brought in Tyrell Williams. Uh, they have Quintus Cephas there, but they, they got nothing. Uh, TJ Hawkinson was really what, what they got there, and he's been a little bit disappointing for a top 10 pick. So I could see you don't have the development there, but if that's the case, I'd like to see them do something to accumulate more picks. I'm sure someone would have been willing to trade up to get Penny Sewell there. They could have gone back a bit. They could have gotten another player, maybe even another tackle later, and they could have accumulated some some picks. Maybe they could have even been someone if they didn't want to take Justin Fields. It's possible that the... Um, the Bears were calling up and they were, you know, it's possible they were calling Miami at six. They were calling the Lions at seven. They were calling the Panthers at eight, the Broncos at nine. Uh, They were calling the Giants at 10. They're calling everyone there and just getting no, 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 because this draft class was seen as having, you know, 12, 13 great players and no one wanted to get outside of that. So it's possible that happened. It's possible they could have moved all the way back and accumulated a ton of capital to do that. They probably could have juiced the price um, for what the Bears ended up paying there, if that's a possibility. So again, I'm not going to harp on it too much. I think it's a solid pick. It's a, it's a tackle. You're getting good surplus value there. But, you know, there's probably better ways to play it, even if you don't want to go with quarterback, which I think could be somewhat justified for them because they're because they're not ready. Uh, if you look at the rest of their draft, a couple of uh, defensive interior guys, cornerback, they ended up not drafting a receiver. I think I probably would have taken a receiver a little bit earlier. They didn't draft one until Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round. He has some opportunity. Uh, they grab a running back pretty late. They already have uh, you know, some, some, some good running back talent there. So it, a lot of people have high grades, I think, because of the fact that Penny Sewell fell into their lap. And I don't know. I'm not going to give you a great grade because of a player falls into your lap because that's just the way that the board happened to to shift out. So I think they didn't get bad players outside of it, but this is this would not be like an A type of grade for me as I've seen other places. And in fact, you know, the PFF guide here, I see we gave him an A minus. I would not be that high. This would be more like a B minus type of draft for me for not for not thinking about trading out at least or not executing it. Next, Panthers, Broncos. Again, I'll just hit Justin Fields, Justin Fields. Why not? Why not? Um, I know that the Panthers in particular, I really, really, really did not like the process of Sam Darnold giving up the second round pick, picking up, well, saying you're going to pick up the fifth year option immediately, which is going to be 18 something million. So locking yourself into next year, paying him money, um, disposing of Teddy Bridgewater, who may be better than than Darnold. And I think I think this all started, okay, but I'm going to rewind back a little bit on the Panthers. This all started, and I think it was a problem last season. Matt Rule came in, 
he wanted to win. And I think coaches, they want to win, in particular coach college coaches, right? If you think about their environment, they're not tanking. There's no phenomenon of tanking in college football. If anything, you have to always be building, always be grinding because it's a positive feedback loop in college. You start playing better, more recruits are interested, you sign more recruits, you play better, even better recruits are interested, and so on and so forth. So you have to be making improvements. You have to be making improvements early. You have to be pushing forward. You have to be taking risks to push forward as soon as possible. This is the NFL, though. And the mistake was last offseason, while Robbie Anderson was a great signing, you know, they brought in Robbie Anderson, they brought in Teddy Bridgewater, uh, they were they were spending money in different places. They drafted Derek Brown, who's a fine, you know, not a bad pick. But again, they drafted him in the top, what was it, seventh overall uh, for, for for Brown last season. Again, low upside type of guy, low surplus value type of guy, someone you could potentially trade back and accumulate picks. Uh, they, I think it was all defenders last draft. So they're always looking. It seems like rules at, uh, thought process is – and in, in, in this offseason, they brought in a couple of offensive linemen who I thought were maybe a little bit overpaid. It seems like Rule's thought process is this college mentality of let's always be pushing forward, always be getting better. And I think it's healthy to have that attitude in a coach if they can deal with some of the ups and downs. But you have to have someone who's ultimately making these decisions who can push back against that, who can look more of the longer term um, view of the franchise and what they should be doing. And I think when you have the coach making those decisions, it can become difficult. Now, I know people point to Belichick, and I think Belichick has made a lot of great long-term moves. Um, so people point to him as the example of, hey, it works to have to have the coach there. Yeah, it works sometimes, but it doesn't work all the time. And I think there may be a mistake here. Uh, the pick itself, J.C. Horn, you know, everyone was talking about he was a riser, he was a good guy. There were two cornerbacks that everyone wanted. They wanted Horn, they wanted Sertan. They got Horn. But again, it's one of those situations where could you have taken fields? Because I think you're closer on that development curve. Uh, you have DJ Moore. You had Robbie Anderson. Uh, you had those guys there. So could you have taken him or could you have traded back? Could you have been that team to trade back and to let the Bears come all the way up there or another team come up there who would have wanted to come up there? So that would be the, that would be the downside for them. Um, if we roll around and look at what else they did here. I think, let me see, Terrence Marshall. I mean, great pick if there aren't injury concerns. He's probably the last receiver taken who has true best receiver in the class upside. He's got a lot of similarities to Justin Jefferson. I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit higher ceiling from him this last season without Jefferson there, with Jamar Chase opting out. I would have liked to see a little bit more from him, but he's, you know, the prototype wide receiver one type of physique at uh, 6'3 and 205. He he looks really great there. So I'm not against that. They come back with the tackle, Brady Christensen, that, that's fine. Uh, Tommy Tremble's a pretty good pick there. They really have nothing at tight end, so that'll be interesting there. I don't mind Chuba Hubbard and other guys in the fourth round. I think that's fine. He is, probably has a bigger ceiling than you'd think. And then they kind of really layer on the picks after that. They had three sixth-round picks, two fifth-round picks. So they, they had a lot of guys there, two third-round picks. So they did have a lot of picks there. But again, you can never have too many picks, right? So we'll have to think about that. Broncos. Now, Broncos are even worse as far as why you would pass here. You didn't have the Sam Darnold investment. 
You had Teddy Bridgewater, who you could have kept. You could have kept Bridgewater, even if you drafted a quarterback here. Had Bridgewater be your mentor slash bridge slash quality backup slash floor play at, at quarterback. I know it's a lot of slashes, but um, he could have been that guy for you. And Drew Locke, you know, maybe someone would want him, although I don't think that he's really going to be a coveted guy. I mean, he's a mid-second round pick. There's just there's just not a need to stick around with him. I know some people want to compare him to Josh Allen and say, hey, Josh Allen made the leap. You know, Josh Allen was a seventh pick overall. Uh, Drew Locke was picked in the 50s. Not not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. Not close to the same thing. Uh, no need to stick around with him. I don't care if he throws the ball hard. He's He's not playing well. So that was, you know, really could go with Justin Fields there. I know they have a defensive coach. I think that might be part of the reason that that they decided to go defense here and maybe not look at the quarterback. But again, you can go quarterback, you can trade down. But you took the worst of those options, in my opinion, and that was to draft a player that you think you have to get. You think you have to get one of these two corners. Um, so you're going to go ahead and make the pick there. Um, bad. I mean, that's just, it's flat out bad. I don't know any way to really couch it into another place and then they come back in the second round and they trade up to get a running back i love javante williams but bad really bad um then they come back in the third round and they get an interior offensive lineman it's not bad to be getting an interior offensive lineman at that point but not great not great either um so i, I don't think it's a it's like a really really bad draft it's not an f uh but it's probably a c at best for me okay so continue down um, the Eagles trade up for Devontae Smith. I'm okay with that. They really need receivers. If you're going to have to throw out a third round pick in order to get that one done, uh, it's not the worst thing you could do. I think they got lucky in a way because that might not have been available to them. If the Dallas Cowboys, if the, everyone in the entire universe knew that the Dallas Cowboys were looking to take one of those cornerbacks. So if, Sertan or Horn had fall had fallen, right? If that had happened, then they're probably not willing to trade out. So they're not willing to trade out. Then you would have had the Eagles stuck and maybe everything shifts around then, right? Then at 11, maybe our friend Dave Gettleman, who had never traded down before in his entire life, although he got a taste of it and he seemed to like it uh, this year, even though he'd never done it before in his enti- entire life, maybe he stays and he takes Devontae Smith. Then maybe the Eagles trade back from 12. I would, I'd like that. That would be pretty juicy, right? If they could have gotten the same return from the Bears uh, in what could be kind of a rebuild for them this year anyway. That could have been great. Um, or then they might have been motivated, though, to go ahead and take uh, Rashawn Slater or someone else there. So anyway, Devontae Smith, he's the, he's the number two receiver in modeling that I've done. The modeling doesn't fully incorporate the early declare status, so that's a little bit of a negative for him. And it doesn't ding Smith for the weight thing, for the 170 pounds, 166 pounds, depending upon which measurement you're going to talk about. It doesn't ding him severely for that, but the problem is it's an outlier, right? He's an outlier, so... And we'll, we'll talk about this with, with Tutu Atwell a little bit too. It's just hard to say whether or not there is a realistic cutoff because when you haven't seen things happen, but yet guys have quote-unquote traits and they play bigger than they are, all those sorts of things, you just have to see what happens in the NFL. Um, but again, it's a good surplus value pick. It's a pick that they need. 
I was higher than most on Jalen Hurts last year. So I'm okay with it. Now, but again, if they wanted to go Justin Fields, I would have been fine. I'm fine with anyone going Justin Fields here, as you can see. Uh, And one other thing, though, with the trade up here, when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, clearly the Cowboys could have, I mean, 100%, the Cowboys could have made that Bears trade, right? It's a one pick difference. And instead, the Giants were able to do it. And it seems like the Cowboys, they move back a couple of picks and they, they take Micah Parsons an off-ball linebacker. I mean, Parsons is great. He's He can move. He can cover. That's fine. But I think the Cowboys should have been willing to take that. They need a lot of players on defense in particular, and they need some offensive line help probably also. So they need players, and they need cheap players because, you know, Dak is going to be – Dak's making a, a billion dollars. So they need a lot uh, in order to keep this team afloat and – in a good salary cap space, they really could use those picks. And I think that was a big mistake on their part. Only going back to two picks and and saying we need Parsons. We can only go back to 12. We're not willing to go back to 20. Big mistake. Um, let's keep on going here. I know some of this is becoming repetitive, but the Bears, you know, two thumbs up, way up as far as going up and getting fields. Ryan Pace has been I mean, he's been one of the worst, really, GMs for a while now. They did this all-in thing Start with the with the Khalil Mack trade. They traded up a bunch of different times. They've been able to hit on later-round picks, which has saved him. But again, if you're so great at hitting at later-round picks, why use them to trade up all the time? Why not keep those and keep on going for it, right? So they're digging themselves out a little bit here. Unfortunately, I just think the Bears are a team on the decline generally, they don't have a lot to throw to other than Allen Robinson, again, is on the franchise tag there, so he's not a long-term option. They didn't address wide receiver until the sixth round with Daz Newsome. Uh, they did bring in some offensive line help, so I think that that's good. And, you know, Fields can use his legs, so I think he'll be useful as a rookie. But you're hoping you don't get injured, and you're hoping that the decline that's happening with aging players on defense if it continues, this is a team that can quickly flip from being a playoff team with bad quarterback play to a team that has average quarterback play or better than average quarterback play with Justin Fields but can't get into the playoffs because of the fact that the rest of the team is deteriorating around him and they haven't done enough to – the fact that they gave away all these picks is now catching up with them, not having that young talent pipeline going on right now. Um, but the Fields pick itself and moves them up. I don't give them an A+. plus. Like, everyone gives them an A+. plus. I mean, that's great. They were willing to trade up for Fields. I think it could be the most impactful move of them all. Uh, but they, they got work to do overall. So I, I just can't, I can't – I'm not going to give Ryan Pace uh, an A+, plus, no matter making this trade or not. But obviously the right move for, for, for the first-round pick at least. So the Cowboys, I mentioned before, the problems with not going down further – um, beyond that, let's look at what else we got here for the Cowboys. So they came back with, uh, Kelvin Joseph, you know, they wanted a cornerback, right? So they came back with him. He has elite speed. He looks pretty good. He was 67th on, uh, the big board. So our big board. So he's a little bit early, but that's a position that they seem to want. And then they had a lot of different picks here. They had three third round picks. They had a couple of fourth round picks, a couple of six round picks. So they're just throwing darts. Boom, 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 over and over again. And they need to be doing that, especially on defense. 
So they're going to throw darts at three different cornerbacks. They're going to throw it at a linebacker. They're going to a couple of different linebackers. I guess Parsons isn't really a dart in the first round, but they, they draft a couple of different linebackers. They drafted an edge rusher. Uh, you know, they drafted some offensive linemen. So they're, they're building all around there. They have the best one, two, three combination in the NFL for wide receiver. So the no, no needs to worry about that. Blake Jarwin looked pretty good um, as the tight end. And then they have Ezekiel Elliott, of course, who, uh, you know, he's not bad. I'll say that. Not bad. And continue to go down here. I mean, I think the Chargers deserve a pretty high grade, although some of it is luck here with the fact that they had Slater fall into their laps. So I think that was a good move there. They're spending a ton of money, if you want to look from big picture, they're spending a ton of money on Joey Bosa. He got that massive contract, which totally reset the the edge market, taking it up to, you know, the high 20 millions, which is just, you know, bonkers compared to what we had seen in the past for these types of guys. So he, he's way up there. So they're going to have to find, you know, they're going to have to maximize this rookie window for for Justin Herbert. And I think... Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. is a value pick there, so I think that's good. The, you know, Casey Hayward's gone, so they're going to have him come in there. Josh Palmer, one of the more interesting guys. Now, an analytics guy that I am, I'm going to say bad pick. Uh, film guys like him, including our own Mike Renner. He's, you know, he's an interesting player. Some people are comping him with Mike Williams as a deep threat. You know, he was kind of like a deep threat who didn't have a quarterback who could throw him the ball. So they think maybe he can continue to play that that sort of role when it comes to what he can do in the pros and he could fill in for Williams who is going to you know he's going to be out of his his contract after this this season that's fine but is you know is Williams like really a guy that you need to replicate i guess would be my question uh we saw Herbert have some really good success with Jalen Guyton and some of the the smaller guys the uh, small, quick, fast guys going downfield. So it would have been interesting maybe if they went with someone who was more of a deep threat who ended up being effective and more of a separator. So if they went with Diami Brown or someone like that, I think that could have been interesting. Uh, let me see. Palmer, I mean, I mean Palmer ran a four five one, so it's not too bad and pretty good explosion from the broad jump. So yeah, I mean, he has athleticism. He's 210 pounds, but just really no production. You know, he just did not look good in modeling because he just hasn't shown it. And I'm only willing to give someone so much of a break for having poor quarterback play. We saw that with Jalen Rager last year and, you know, great receivers can perform with poor quarterback play. So when, when one doesn't perform with poor quarterback play, I would wonder more and not just discount the, the performance. Let's go down a bit further here. We talked about the Jets already, so we can skip them, and uh, I didn't like the trade-up here. New England Patriots and Mac Jones, I mean, they're in a bind. They're in a bind. They need a long-term quarterback option. Jones fell to them. They were linked to Justin Fields. Maybe they thought about trading up for Justin Fields, weren't willing to pay the price, especially going up from 15 versus the Bears going up from 20. That's a possibility, I think. And... It's tough because uh, some of the some of the shine, you know, is is off is off of the Patriots here, where everything they did was seen as being a great pick, and maybe it's not quite the same now. I mean, we like Christian Barmore, and they got him in the second round, so I think that's good. They're building around there, but the spending spree in free agency was 
ill-conceived in my opinion, but I know that Belichick probably doesn't want to really do a rebuild. But again, Mac Jones, I'm not sure the timing's right for bringing in Mac Jones. They don't have the young player pipeline already established there. They're just throwing money in free agency, trying to get a competent team, and then hoping you insert Mac Jones and maybe you get a miracle and things end up doing well there. Um, but having to compete against the Dolphins, having to compete against the the Bills going forward, the Jets are ascending. It's it's going to be it's going to be a rough stretch, rough stretch for Bill Belichick and uh, however long he lasts there, and the New England Patriots. Okay, Arizona Cardinals, Xavier Collins. Everyone seemed to know that Xavier Collins was going to be the pick there. Um, not really a fan for a couple of reasons. One is it's a little early. Uh, he's an off-ball linebacker, um, 260 pounds, so he's a he's a big dude. But he actually covered pretty well last year in a 93 coverage grade. So that's what you need. Like, that's a necessity if you're going for a linebacker. So they did get that. Uh, also, Najee Harris's name was being thrown around as a potential there. So that's just bad to have that associated with your team <laughs> that you were thinking – at the 16th pick in the draft, that's who you that's who you might go with. So I'm going to say, I'm not going to hit him with a negative because we don't know if that was true, but it's not encouraging to have that name there. Rondale Moore, pick 49. He, from modeling, he, he looks pretty good. I think the problem is he's a gadget dude. He's a, um, I mean, it might, it might sound rough, but he's like kind of like a, a bullshit production guy, meaning you just it's like bullshit offense, right? You're just throwing him the ball and saying, "Go and get us yards." And he's highly talented. He's got an insane af- athletic profile outside of the fact that he's only 5'7". Um so he can do that. But the Cardinals' problem passing the ball and their offense generally is that they kind of just have a bullshit offense altogether right now. They have an offense which is playing the quote unquote, and this is the joke about them. That's a horizontal raid versus 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 a vertical raid that you're doing that you're doing there versus the air raid going downfield. Is that they're they're this is this is going to give them even more of a horizontal raid here. I mean, Murray doesn't throw the ball over the middle of the field. Rondell Moore is a, is a is again a really short dude, and Murray's a short dude. So I don't know how they're going to make connections over the middle of the field, and. Maybe Moore can play downfield. Maybe he can be that deep threat because I think that's what they really need with the failure of um, of of the deep threats there that they haven't had anyone to come in. I mean they were hoping Andy Isabella was going to be that guy and it didn't happen. So maybe Moore can play down the field, but he has not done that. Uh, Mike Renner here believes that he can be a Steve Smith's type. We shall see if that, if that can end up happening. You'd like a little bit more, more height from him. You'd like to see more, but – we just need less Cliff Kingsbury, you know, fake sharp BS on, on that offense. And I'm not sure Rondell Moore is going to provide us with that. All right, moving on. The Raiders. What can we say about our Raiders? So the Raiders are firmly, 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 firmly entrenched in Super Scout Syndrome. And they literally hired a draft analyst, Mike Mayock, to be their GM. And I think that's been a problem. I mean, maybe some of this goes on Gruden, maybe not, but we start with Alex Leatherwood, right? So he's the 17th pick. If we go on our big board, it is going to be the 40th. 
you know, maybe you say, oh, it's, you know, that's not too bad, 23 spots. I mean, that's a big deal, 17th pick versus 40th. At least trade back for these guys, right? At least trade back. So that that's a problem, number one. Then we go down to the next pick. Uh, well, Trayvon Morig is okay. That, that's one that actually is kind of like flipping. They talked about you flip the rounds. He was a guy who was, who was ranked in the teens and they got him at 43, yet maybe there's, there's an issue, right? Maybe there's something we don't know about that so many teams let him slip. Uh, if anyone listened to the pod I did with Matthew Freeman about draft props, he was certain that Morig was going to be the first safety taken. He ended up being the third safety taken. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, some, so, something is going on there. So, but, but we'll see. But if you go into the, the Raiders' next picks, they had a couple picks in the third round. So if you take the two picks in the third round, so the pick that they took at 79 on our big board was 167. So almost 100 difference, right? The pick they took at 80 was 99. So not too bad, only a 19 difference. But still, you combine those two together, we're talking about 115 spots in difference there. You look at the first round, there was another 20-something spots in difference. I mean, they're just accumulating this super scout problem of saying, my guy. That's why, again, for front offices, I know we want to have the ideal guy who just knows how to make all the picks, but what's more important than having the great scout, because you know there are lots of great scouts in the buildings, they have tons of scouts in the buildings, is having someone who can synthesize all the information, can weigh the risk and benefits, can think about the different scenarios, can understand by knowing base rates of whether or not guys are going to hit. You have to have all of that knowledge when making the decisions. You cannot be a guy who says, my board says X, so I'm taking X no matter what's happening. You have to be someone who is at least willing to entertain trading down in those scenarios. And again, for, for the Raiders, you know, it's not just this this year, this problem. Uh, I mean, they took Henry Ruggs as the first wide receiver when he was the least productive and he was a speed guy. They took Damon Arnett last year in the first round. Again, big reach compared to where other people had him. Uh, you go back to 2019, and that's the first year that uh, we had Mike Mayock there. Uh, Cleveland Farrell at four overall. I mean, big, big, big reach. Maybe they couldn't get out of that pick, but, you know, again, that, 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 I can't just, like, give them a pass for the fact they couldn't get out of that pick. Josh, I mean, someone traded up in that same draft, I believe, to get uh, the Steelers traded up to five to get a, to get a linebacker. So, you know, make that deal. Uh, Josh Jacobs in the first round, horrible, uh, horrible pick. And Jonathan Abram, who safety, you know, not the worst pick on its face, but he's been a failure. So we don't want to be too results-oriented, but it's not looking good. Uh, there's some rumors that Mayock could be on his way out. We'll see about that. I'm not sure if it's Gruden's fault, if it's Mayock's fault. But uh, I think that's the problem with the Super Scout uh, syndrome that's going on there. But uh, l- let me just say one more thing about this. And I think individual prognosticators and evaluators like Mayock – um, there's some other guys I'll mention, like a Matt Waldman. Uh, they have rankings, and sometimes you look at their rankings and you're like, well, I don't know about this, right? Like, like Waldman said that he had Zach Wilson as his QB five. That seems way, 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 way too low. Um, but sure, if you have him as your QB five, that's good. Like, don't get influenced by the outside crowd. Be an evaluator. Be a scout type of guy. That's fine. But you don't want your GM to be that guy. You don't want your GM to say, 
this is my board, and I'm going to stick to it hell or high water, no matter what this, the, the consensus may say, no matter what the value may say, no matter what other people are saying. You just cannot, cannot do that as a GM. And, you know, Mayox had some stuff in the past. I think he had Deshaun Kaiser as the number one quarterback in the 2017 class, at least initially. That's fine for him as an analyst to do something like that. It's not fine for a GM to do something like that, for a GM to say, I'm going to pass on the uh, on the guy who should be drafted right here, for a GM to say, I'm just going to stick to my board. You can do that when you're playing evaluator on the outside, and if you want to give an unbiased opinion, that's fine, but you have to synthesize those opinions into a decision. You don't just go based upon the, those rankings, and that's a, just a huge, huge mistake philosophically with what they're doing. All right, let's pick it up here. Miami Dolphins, we already talked about them, so we can skip them. Washington football team, Jamie Davis. Um, I really think Washington football team, you know, made their made their stakes when they had such a great free agency period, bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's going to really uh, raise the bar there. Uh, bringing in Curtis Samuel. Now they're going to they're going to add to that later when they got Dayami Brown, who I think was a great selection, and where he was taken at the end of the third round. Jamie Davis, they, they they got some high upside guys basically here, so I'm fine with that. Uh, I think eventually they're going to have to think about what they're going to do with the quarterback equation. So that'll be interesting. And they, you know, there's probably not going to be drafting in an area where they can do that unless the the bottom falls out. And that's a possibility, but um, we'll see what happens going forward there. Okay, New York Giants. So, you know, you give it and you take it away. I give Dave Gettleman credit for trading down not once but twice but I take it a little bit away here for the drafting of Kadarius Tony in the first round. I know that uh, he's a popular guy. I mean, Urban Meyer came out afterwards saying when the Jaguars were drafting at 25, they were hoping that Tony was going to be there, which is kind of a weird way to greet your you know first round pick, Travis Etienne, is by saying, "Hey, we wanted this other guy instead." But Tony, I mean, number one, he again, he's another bullshit guy, right? Bullshit production. He. But he didn't even have top-end production for like Rondell Moore did as a freshman. Now, he was competing with Kyle Pitts and others in that, in that Florida offense, but he's, an old, he's not young. He didn't have a ton of production. And, you know, these, these guys who are BS producers, they just do not translate as well to the NFL. Now, there has been a huge mistake in that if you're going to discount all those guys when we saw Tariq Hill do that. But that's because he's able to produce down the field. It wasn't because he was able to continue to be this running back slash wide receiver, you know, two A dot type of guy and then translate that into NFL success is because he had other talent. So maybe Tony can go down the field. He's obviously just an uber athlete, like off the charts type of athlete. So that's a potential there. But generally in that offense with Saquon Barkley playing around the line of scrimmage with uh, with Ingram there with Slayton, with uh, Sterling, Shepard. You know, they got a lot of guys. And then, um, you know, they also they also brought in, in free agency, um, fr- from the Lions, they brought in the, they brought in another receiver and they paid him a ton of money, right? So, uh, you know, it's, it's just really tough. Like when you have to spread out the ball that much, then you have to decide, you know, what are we going to do here, right? What are we going to do with Kenny Galladay? What are we going to do with these other guys? It's, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough to, to spread the ball around there. So I'm not a fan as far as that's concerned. But I'll give him credit for for the trade down. 
so they'll they'll get that. I just think it's going to be tough with with the Tony pick, and they didn't have a ton of picks. But next year should get better. But if Daniel Jones doesn't hit, there might not be a next year for Dave Gettleman, despite making some some good trade downs this year. All right, continuing on, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Quinny Payne is fine, fine pick. We'll see. Not a not a big producer, but I think you know. I would have liked to maybe see the Colts who love to trade down and Chris Ballard love to trade down do that. They did not. Um, I don't think this is, this is probably the worst draft that I've seen from them. And I think it might be because they're in a little bit of win now mode and they've been in that for a while, whether it's the DeForest Buckner trade where they're willing to give away the first pick to pay him a ton. Now they've got Carson Wentz that they're bringing in and they're giving away picks for. And if you look at what they did this draft, you know, they're bringing in some guys, but they're really just labeling, you know, getting some guys on defense. Uh, a couple of edge rushers, and that's fine. I think that's fine to build around the defense. But you brought in Carson, uh, you brought in Carson Wentz. Maybe some more receivers. I just don't know. Like you have T.Y. Hilton on his last legs. You have Michael Pittman Jr., who looks good, but we'll see. He's just a very much a question mark, and you just don't have a whole lot else there. So maybe they're hoping they can run the ball uh, with Jonathan Taylor and everyone else. But it's just, just it's, it's again, it's it's kind of a. I'm a little bit cooling on the Colts going forward, but I think Ballard might think this is really the window where he's got to get something done soon. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, Caleb Farley, risky pick, uh, especially a year after making a risky pick last. I mean, think about it. So they drafted someone who just had a back surgery, who opted out, who who knows what's going to happen with him going forward, right? And then last year they took Isaiah Wilson, who basically never played a snap and is washed out of the NFL already. So for back-to-back years, they're willing to take maybe zeros in both years. So it's risky, but, um, you know, but these t- these picks bust a lot anyway. So you can't say that you're, you're going to be too scared there. So I think they, they, did, they did a decent job there. Didn't address wide receiver until the fourth round, which I was a little bit surprised by because they don't really have anybody. They brought in Josh Reynolds, but they don't have too much to go alongside A.J. Brown. Uh, Minnesota Vikings. Fantastic job on the trade down there that they made with the with the Jets. Awesome value there. They got Christian Derisaw there, a position of need. You know, check, check. Great job by then. They've been, you know, just piling up picks, and they're making tons and tons of picks and didn't have great success with all the late picks last year. We'll see what happens this year. But I, I like what they're doing. They're, they're doing a lot to potentially build up the team. And... Um, you know, it's tough with the Kirk Cousins contract. They're going to have to figure out an exit strategy there. But they're so far in that going forward for another year, I think, is probably the way to go. They did get Kellen Mond, who would have been my quarterback, uh, would have been my QB, I guess, six in this draft after the top five. Uh, I, lo- I like the fact that he throws the ball downfield. I like the fact that he had decent efficiency. I like the fact that he can run the ball. So the fact that he went... I guess it's the QB seven here after Kyle Trask. I would have definitely taken him before Trask. So I think he has some athleticism and is an interesting guy. I mean, if you're going to talk about, you can hope someone can produce like a Dak Prescott type, then Mon would be that type of guy. He doesn't have the the stats, honestly, even though Prescott was the fourth round pick, he doesn't have the numbers to match that, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. And continuing down here, um, let me see Najee Harris for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Awful. You know, they didn't they didn't dress offensive line until way too late. I don't know what they're doing there. I just can't. Uh, it's just bad, 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 bad. Cleveland Browns, our Browns, they haven't been trading back, which is something that I think was, was interesting. But 
I think both times they had a tackle last year that they wanted to take, um, that they really wanted to take, and I think that that made sense there. And then this year, Greg Newsom is another guy who would, who had fallen a bit, and they need corners. I mean, I know that they brought in uh, Troy Hill, they have Greedy Williams, they have um, Denzel Ward, but Williams is very much a question mark. So I think he's an interesting play there. And if you go back, they got some good value on their on their picks later on in the draft. And Anthony Schwartz is a little bit of a question mark for me because he wasn't a producer, but he's extremely fast. And they talked about how smart he was and how he can develop. So he was the youngest wide receiver in the draft, not even 21, won't turn 21 until after the season starts, I believe, or right when the season's about to start. Uh, so he's a really, really young guy. So we'll we'll see there. Uh, going down a bit further here, our Ravens. Now, I really, really like what the Ravens are doing. Number one, going into the draft, making the trade, getting that first round pick, giving up the second round pick. And then, you know, Orlando Brown Jr. was a great third round pick for them, but they don't want to pay the guy $22 million a year. That's fine. I think that's that's perfectly suitable to let him go. They just signed uh, Villanueva that just came across the wire. So they're going to fill that with, again, you want good, solid offensive line play. I think it's a little bit easier to play in Baltimore than in other places where you're not taking a bunch of true pass sets. And... They needed wide receivers. Now, we're never really going to know, or it was tough to know whether it was a wide receiver problem or a Lamar Jackson problem. Clearly, they're not throwing the ball a lot, so it's an offensive problem there. But can that happen? I mean, Marquise Brown was a little bit of an outlier pick at 160 pounds-ish. He hasn't been great going forward. They're, you know, They had Willie Sneed out there who runs like a 4-9. They didn't have a lot going on. So bringing in Rashad Bateman, who outstanding production profile, and then you know, double up sometimes at these positions if you have to, right? Like you don't just say, oh, this is my one guy, so I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And you double up and you say, later on in the draft, I'm going to take Tylen Wallace, who's a great production profile guy, all the way in the fourth round. So I think that's great there. And they got the edge rusher away in the at the end of the first round, and they've been able to develop those guys. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Our Ravens coming back after a little bit of a down year last year with the off-ball linebacker and the running back in the first couple of rounds. And um, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, defensive end Joe Tyron, I think that's fine. I think the Bucs did a good job not taking a running back. If you're going to give someone credit for doing something like that, I think that's something you can do. They're not buying into the quote-unquote luxury pick market, which some guys do. Kyle Trask, I mean, it's probably a waste of a pick, but if you want to bring in some competition, that's fine there. I, I wouldn't have done that, though. I think that was a little bit too much of a luxury pick sort of thing there. And um, the other picks are fine. I don't think there's anything egregiously bad about what they had done. But Trask, I just think not necessary. Not necessary to bring uh, to bring him in there. Um, okay, so let's hit the other teams here that, that had barely any picks quickly here. So I'm going to go with the Seahawks first. Just, I mean, I'm higher on Dwayne Eskridge than some other people are. So he went in the second round, but that's really, really early. He is old, old. He is old, old, old. He is over 24 years old now. He will be 24 and a half going into the season. I've seen some people say he was never a producer in college. Not true. Um, but he was not a producer until this last season. Now, they didn't play that many games. I think they only played six games. But he did have almost 800 yards in it and um, a handful of a lot of touchdowns too. And he's a return guy. So he has some value there. But I think because of that offense, if he can play downfield, he can get off press coverage sometimes too. If, they, if he's in two wide receiver sets, he could be interesting. But they already have DK Metcalf there. He'd be more of a 
Tyler Lockett, if he continues to have injury issues, it's possible that Eskridge could eventually move into that. But then, you know, Lockett was extended not that long ago. But with all NFL contracts, you could probably get out of that after a couple seasons. So a little bit of a reach, in my opinion, there. And then they come back with Trey Brown, and they come back with Stone Forsyth, uh, the offensive tackle. Whatever. You can't give it a good grade, but it's not maybe god-awful. It's just the, the Jamal Adams pick was really, really, really bad. Um, the Jamal Adams trade, excuse me, was really, really bad. And we're going to go to the Kansas City Chiefs here. I mean, they needed a linebacker, so Nick Bolton makes sense. Again, I'm going to count as part of this draft the trade, the pick swap of the first and second round picks for Orlando Brown. Bad. Flat out bad. Uh, really bad. So the Creed Humphrey is okay at center. Uh, they really rebuilt that offensive line, but I just don't know what they're going to do when they have to pay all these dudes. They're probably going to be um, restructuring Patrick Mahomes' contract every year. Once it really bumps up in a couple of years, every single year they're probably going to have to restructure that thing. So not really much to say about Kansas City. We're just, you know, just hope they get that offensive line together and they're kind of playing out the string here about what's going to happen the next couple of years while they can keep all that offensive talent together. And lastly... The Los Angeles Rams. Tutu Atwell. Don't get it. I mean, I think from a production perspective, he actually looks pretty good. He models out well, but what do you do with a guy who's 155 pounds? And I think it's an indictment on the process, at least, of letting Josh Reynolds go and then Van Jefferson, who you took in the second round last year, he's not ready. And then last year, also in the second round, you took Cam Akers, where you could have been perfectly fine with with um, Daryl Henderson, I think. So it's just you're just you're just using these picks. You're just you don't have a lot of picks. You've been trading away first round pick every single year, and now you're going to you know use these for high quality picks for a running back and two on wide receivers where you're, you're just, I don't know how much juice you're getting out of these when you have so many other places you're going to need to fill on this defense with guys like Troy Hill leaving and John Johnson leaving. And, you know, and then you spend a, a ton of money to, to bring back, to bring back players like, uh, like Leonard Floyd. It's just, it's just a lot of hope. And with Stafford this year, it's really going to be this year, next year, and then there could be some problems unless they hit on all of these different picks. And that's really going to be the issue for them going forward. All right, so I was able to hit everyone here. Hopefully, everyone you're able to tune in the entire time. And uh, let me know what you think about the the solo issue, uh, the solo episode here, not having a guest on here. I may start to do this a little more often if I have to really get in the weeds and try not to take more than an hour and 15 minutes or so. Please go and rate and review the pod. And I'm also going to start taking some questions on here. So if you want to leave questions in the reviews, I'll start gathering it there or go ahead and leave some questions to the episodes when I tweet them out. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you next week. Thanks.